This morning, we are taking just a little bit of a break from the book of Philippians, and uh, our, our friend and brother Marcus uh, had, had let me know that they were going to be in the area, and I wanted him to give an update and to share and, and share the Word of God for a little while, and so it worked out that he could be here with us this Sunday. And for those of you who have been around a while, you know Marcus and Ariana were our missionaries with crew to Mount Pleasant to CMU, and now they're ministering down in the Detroit area to several of the campuses down there, and uh, um, we're just excited to have him here to share God's word, so will you welcome Marcus? Well, good morning, my Brown Corners Church family. As Pastor Jeremiah said, we were here with crew at Central Michigan University for uh, six or seven, I think seven, seven years, and Brown Corners was our home for that whole time, and so this church holds a very near and dear place to us, and we're incredibly grateful to uh, be able to visit. Ariana and the boys, who I know who uh, everyone wants to see versus me, will be here at around nine o'clock, so... Um, you'll see uh, Micah and Elias. Micah is about to turn three, and Elias just turned one. So, yeah, we're glad to be with you this morning. Um, yeah, to share just a quick uh, update on how things are going in Detroit. Uh, if you're familiar with Crew, Crew is a campus ministry where we do relational evangelism, discipleship with college students, and we also send them uh, on missions trips in the hope that when they finish their time in college, we're sending them into the world, whatever their profession is, to be a Christ-centered doctor or teacher or politician or business owner, whatever that might be. So with Detroit, uh, we're a metro team, which means that all of us have our own university. So at Central Michigan, each of us would have our own dorm, but because there's so many schools in the Detroit area, we just send um, one male and one female staff to each campus to work with students there. Um, so we're at seven schools, uh, but our family uh, primarily works on Wayne State's campus and Oakland's campus. And so with regards to this school year, uh, our staff team of 14 uh, across these seven campuses, we've been able to talk about Jesus with 2,000 college students at this point this semester. Um, yeah, and we've seen people coming to faith. We have just shy of 300 students involved across those seven campuses uh, in the Detroit area. And we've just been really excited to see God really give us some momentum. Um, students have always been spiritually hungry and thirsty on campus. But this is the first time post-COVID that it feels like there's a social life on campus again. And so now as we're interacting and engaging with students, there's a lot of excitement to try new things and to talk to people who might have beliefs that are different than their own. Uh, we also have, our, uh, in terms of the sending portion, a uh, really unique and beautiful partnership with Columbia Crew. <clears throat> and so Detroit Crew sends staff and students to Columbia to help with the uh, efforts that are going on there, both on their college campuses and also to help people of need in that area with clean water filters and using those clean water filters to share the gospel uh, with families. And so uh, we've been able to, over our past four trips to Columbia in 2023, uh, we've seen 240 homes now have access to clean drinking water in Columbia. Um, we've gotten to share the gospel with 525 people, uh, and 193 people indicated a desire to follow Jesus from those efforts as well. 
So God's doing <clears throat> some really remarkable things in Detroit. Oh, let me start my timer. I forgot to do that. Sorry. Um, and yet there's still uh, tremendous competition for hearts and minds of college students, uh, college students on campuses. For instance, at Eastern Michigan University, um, there was a small group of students trying to organize a protest against Crew on campus to, for our first weekly meeting to host a protest outside of the church that we met at. At Wayne State University, uh, we have people coming that um, there is a place for having a discussion about letting the world know about God's judgment, but these street preachers that are coming have no gospel of Christ, only wrath and condemnation. Like they've cursed our staff and students to hell from the areas. And so Wayne State has just been plagued with these guys. And they're also um, this cult called the Mother God cult that is very active on campus and targets Christians on campus as well. And even at Oakland University, uh, where I'm predominantly at, uh, we had an opening bonfire just to invite any student who is spiritually interested. And we had 50 people come, but we had undercover missionaries of a cult like come to our bonfire and like get to know our students and interact with them there. But <clears throat> let me just share, though, why uh, that doesn't get under our skin. Because God has been ridiculously kind, apart from everything I said before, because for Eastern Michigan University on the night of the protest, their first weekly meeting, what do you know? A singular rain cloud goes over Ypsilanti, Michigan, and right over top of campus during the time that we were meeting in that church and canceled the protest that happened there. <laughs> At Wayne State, because of all the hubbub from these guys, uh, our students are actually sharing their faith because they want their friends to know what the real gospel is versus what these people are saying. And we've seen people come to faith from these efforts in terms of uh, I can think of one girl who was so mad at what those men said to her roommate, she went home and shared the gospel with them, and they came to faith with her in that place. And then at Oakland, once the kind of intruders were found out and what they were doing, uh, it mobilized a guy named Alex who uh, was kind of floating between campus ministries and just doing whatever he wanted to now recognizing that, oh no, there's actually a mission at Oakland and I need to invest in here because if Christians aren't investing, someone else is going to invest in that place anyways. <clears throat> so God has been ridiculously faithful. There's a lot of exciting things happening in Detroit despite trials and tribulations. Um, two quick little prayer requests if you want to jot these down for our family. We're still laboring hard for men to get involved at Oakland. Um, we had a worship night on campus on Tuesday, and there were 30 girls and three guys <laughs> that came to this. So uh, men to get involved at Oakland is one prayer request. And then the other, if you're on our prayer letter, uh, our landlord is not going to renew our lease, and so we're kind of desperately searching around looking for a house at this time as well. So those are two things we'd love your prayer for um, down in the Detroit area. But all that to say, this is the Lord's Day, not Marcus or Cruz Day, and so I'd love to dive into God's Word together and revisit John 15, 1 through 8 together. So my students call me the John 15 guy. In fact, when I finished my last year at MidMichigan, my students all bought me a vine and like gave it to me as a going away present because I talk so much out of John 15. Uh, Zach, who's one of my senior uh, student leaders at Wayne State, 
is like being very polite about it, but I go through John 15 with every new student, and he's heard it probably five times at this point. So I am the John 15 guy on campus, but I believe John 15 is so helpful because it deals with this issue of, have you ever wondered why you struggle with this particular sin, and no matter it is what you do, it continues to rear its ugly head in your life? Right? You have tried many things, you have invited many people into this battle, and yet no matter what you do, this thing continues to pop up like an ugly weed in your garden. And that's what John 15 gets after, and what we're going to look at this morning. John 15 talks about pruning, and it talks about abiding, or as the translation read today, remaining in Christ. So to revisit verses 1 through 4, they say, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus has four pictures that he's giving in uh, this dialogue he's having with the disciples. And so within this uh, section, we see there's fruit, there's branches, there's vines, and there's a gardener vine dresser. Fruit, you can think of uh, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit as being an evidence of that, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I also think ministry fruit as well in terms of there are people around you who are growing closer to Jesus because of your presence in their life. Branches is us. Uh, the vine is Jesus. And the vine, uh, we live in northern Michigan, so there's not a lot of vines around. I think it's okay to think about a tree trunk as well, <clears throat> where Jesus is the tree trunk and we're the vine, because the trunk or vine is providing stability, it's providing nutrients, when the heavy winds come, it's the trunk that's holding everything together rather than the branches holding on to the trunk. And then lastly, we have the vine dresser, and that's the father, and he does the cutting and pruning. Now, when I talk with students about this, I'll ask them, what branches experience the cutting sensation from this? And so being at uh, Brown Corners for those years, Matt and I would regularly get pegged for all the tall people things on the church cleanup days. And we frequently had the sheath thing, uh, whatever the Grim Reaper holds, whatever that is. And we would go around and trim branches with the trees that are on the church's property, right? And so I would ask, like, what's going to experience a cutting sensation according to John 15? And nine out of ten guys say the branch that does not bear fruit. And that is the correct answer. But if you look at the text, it's not just the branch that doesn't produce fruit that experiences a cutting, the branch that does bear fruit as well. Right? Uh, do we have any gardeners in here this morning? It's no? Wow! Wow, I guess frost season is coming, and with deer and everything, why mess with it? <clears throat> Pruning is this process where you're taking the dead ends of a living branch and cutting them away so that the good parts of the branch experience more fruit and nutrients in their life, right? The house that we're renting right now has this beautiful uh, rose bush in the front of it, and there was this one, the 
whole bush would blossom, but there was this one huge branch that while it was still alive, it wasn't producing any fruit. And so last year, I cut it, took it away, and I thought that uh, maybe it would like sprout out a different way or something like that. And then we got to July and there was no growth. And I'm like, oh no, I hope my landlord's not going to be mad about uh, this branch that I cut off. But it was almost like overnight that a five foot long branch like shot out from this thing, from the very part where I cut before. Right at that very stem of where the branch was, all of a sudden this new life came out and all of these new roses came out because of that pruning and cutting sensation. So yes, the branch that doesn't produce fruit gets cut away and burned. It's leaf season. We're all going to be uh, cleaning up our yard soon. But also, the fruitful branches experience this as well. And here's why I think this is important for Christians to consider. Because we often think that the people unconnected with Christ are the only ones experience the cutting sensation, but we do too. And in fact, it gets really uncomfortable because God is often cutting away good things for greater things in our life. He doesn't just cut away sin. He cuts away perfectly good things because he has greater things in store. So for instance, one for me in college, it was basketball. I was head over heels for the NBA. Everything that ESPN or Bleacher Report would put out about any team, I was reading it. I was probably reading like 12 hours a week on basketball-specific articles. And there's nothing inherently wrong with basketball. It's not sinful. It's not that it doesn't further God's kingdom. That's how you build a guy's ministry nowadays on campus. You just go play basketball until you find guys who want to go to Bible study with you. <clears throat> but I had so much time, energy, and resources going into this that it was pre preventing real fruit in my life. And so God pruned that away from me. So instead of having all of this time going towards this good thing, there would be instead be growth in great things in my life. And so my question is, <clears throat> as you think about your life, are there things you're uncomfortable with because you feel like God's cutting a perfectly fine and good thing out? Because that might actually be him cutting that away so you can have exponential fruit in another area of your life. So that's our time in pruning. Now let's look at abiding or remaining in Christ. And that's in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So there's a couple of translations that take a stab at this concept. A lot of the more formal translations use abide. Uh, NLT, Christian Standard Bible, they'll use remain. And so I'll talk with college students on what do you think they're trying to communicate here with abide or remain? Because what I think I've found is whatever word choice you want to use here, essentially it's saying there needs to be trust and relationship with. Um, all of you are trusting in this chair that you're sitting in right now, but you're not in a relationship with this chair. I mean, you might be frustrated if someone is sitting in that chair next week when you come back, but apart from that, there's not, like, relationship depending on this trust that you have with the chair. Yet on the other side, we all have people that we have a relationship with and we have very low trust with, and that we do love them, but we don't trust them with the sensitive things in our life. 
And so abiding is having both trust and relationship together with Christ. And so uh, by abiding, we experience fruit. And so this fruit is like also a victory over sin. And so when we put our trust and have a strong relationship with Christ is then we find victory over sin. And so let's just do a litmus test and consider how abiding takes place uh, with the sin in our life. Because we'll oftentimes try to fight sin on our own instead of letting Jesus do the uh, fixing for us. So let's use uh, fear of the future as the thing we're going to think about. In terms of, I bet it's something that almost all of us in here struggle with, more or less from time to time. Fear of the unknown, fear of what's to come, right? You can't turn the news on without fear of the future. You can't take your kids to school without fear of their future. You can't look at your bank account without fear of the future. And so you can abide in Christ with this fear of the future, or, right, have trust and relationship with him, or you can fight that fear of the future by abiding in yourself, by trusting yourself and being closer to yourself than you are with Christ. And so uh, let's think about what this might look like. If you're going to try and fight fear of the future by the strength of your own back, here's some of the things that you might try to do. One, you might just try to tell yourself, I'm just going to stop fearing, right? Whatever it is you see on social media, whatever it is that comes in the mail, you're just going to flip the switch and just, nope, I'm not going to fear anymore. I'm just going to turn it off. Maybe that will work, but that only lasts for so long before the next thing is going to come up and make you nervous about the future again. Or potentially instead of flipping the switch and just turning it off, maybe you think of, oh, I'm just having a bad day and that's why I'm so fearful. If things were different, then I wouldn't be fearing the future and if my situation was better, if my marriage was better, right? All of, if my situation was different, then I wouldn't struggle with this. And maybe, but I know I've also had days where everything is going well, and yet there's still that whispering voice of what if that still creeps into my head. How about you just try to distract yourself and think about something else, right? You know uh, that chore that is going to be significantly difficult and it's going to cost a lot of money, so instead of engaging with it, you just scroll on your phone and just distract yourself from what's there. But what happens when you finish that episode on Netflix, or you finish that exercise, or you've scrolled through everything you can see on Facebook? And here's the last one, and this is going to sound confusing, but hear me out and I'll revisit it in a little bit. What if you just try spiritual things by your own strength to fight fear of the future? Right? Like, Lord, I know I'm not supposed to fear about the future. I know I'm in your hands. I know you're in control. So I'm going to read my Bible and just make it go away. And so then you open your Bible to some random verse and you read for a little bit and then you close your Bible and say, oh, I'm still just as fearful as I was before. Or maybe you try praying, right? You pray really hard, you close your eyes, you got the death grip on your hands and you pray, 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 and then you say amen and you're still just as fearful as you were before. And I'll revisit this one soon. But these are all the ways that we can try to fight our sin by abiding in ourself, Right? by just doing it by our own willpower, by pulling ourselves up from our own bootstraps. These are the ways that instead of abiding in Christ, we abide in ourselves. But let's now look at what abiding in Christ is. And I just think there's three steps that come with abiding with Christ. And that is to confess, 
to repent and believe. Confess, repent, believe. So that confess and repent can get confusing because they often go hand in hand with each other. But confess just to me, confess just means to acknowledge what you should not do, right? You're walking along and you see the thing that is tempting. Confession is just stopping and saying, I should not have that. Repentance, though, is the process of turning from something and walking the other way. Right, every time you do that Michigan U-turn on uh, Business 10 and Claire, that's you actually repenting, like in the original like, histor- history of the word. And then belief is to live in the reality of what you know about Jesus. And so here's what these things look like, right? You're going on about life, something comes up, lust, fear, pride, anger, bitterness, whatever it is. Confession is stopping and saying, I should not have this. Repenting is turning from it, and belief is going back to what Jesus has in store for you instead. And that's just the process of abiding, right? God, I should not, confession, I should not fear the future's unknowns. Whatever it is happening overseas or down the block, I should not fear. I'm turning from that fear, and I'm setting my mind that you are in control of our lives, that I am in your hands. So let me illustrate it this way for you. Say you've just gotten home from work and your spouse or roommate, whoever it is, just baked a fresh batch of cookies and on top of that refrigerator is all those brand new cookies sitting there waiting for you, right? It's 5.30, end of the work day, you're hungry and you just want dinner, but you also know if you eat that bowl of cookies, that's actually not going to fill you up. That's just going to give you a stomach ache and you're just going to pay for it later. All the flour, butter, and salt and goodness. So... What happens in this abiding in Christ thing if you walk into the kitchen and you see the cookies and you only confess and you just stand there and say, I should not have that cookie. I should not have that cookie. What's going to happen in five minutes? You're going to have a cookie, right? So to do that and that alone is actually not going to give you the victory over sin that you're struggling for. How about if you just repent, though? You walk in, you see the cookies, and then you just go back and you sit on the couch What's going to happen in five minutes? You're still going to have a cookie, right? And how about the last one, believe? You walk into the kitchen, you see the cookies there, and instead you just take an apple and you just stand there, and you just keep eating an apple while looking at those cookies. What's going to happen in five minutes? You got one in both hands, right? You're going to double dip. But that's how those spiritual things can be. Right? We have our Bible in one hand and our pet sin in the other. If we're not confessing and repenting, it's like, all right, I'm struggling with lustful thoughts right now, so I have this over here and I keep reading my Bible, but I still have this in my hand. Right? Or bitterness towards a family member. You're, like, you're using this hand to pray while you're still holding on to this thing over here. Confessing, repenting, and believing is this full circle thing that we do. So let me ask, Which do you struggle to do, or which of the three do you often negate when you're facing temptation? For me, it's the confession part. When there's something I know I shouldn't have, I'll turn quickly, and I'll try to tell myself why what Jesus has for me is better, but I won't confess that the bad thing I want is actually bad. That's where I get short-circuited. But for uh, one of my co-leaders with uh, crew in Detroit, 
His is the belief part. He'll say, I know that's bad and go and hide. But instead of having the spiritual apple, instead of eating the gospel instead, he'll just sit there uncomfortable because he knows he's not supposed to have that, but he doesn't take the good truth in instead. And a lot of those sinful desires are probably actually good things. We just want a shortcut and use sin to meet those good things. I tell college guys, right, as we talk about pornography, that I don't think it's actually pornography that you want. You just want connection with another person and you're lonely. So if you're just going to sit on your couch and just say, I'm not going to look at my phone, I'm not going to look at my phone, I'm not going to look at my phone, I'm going to put my phone in the other room, right, that's actually not going to fix something. You need to confess not to do that, repent and turn from that, and go talk to a Christian brother who loves you and spends time with you, right? Go shoot hoops with a guy you're in Bible study with. Go for a walk together. Go pray for each other. <clears throat> it's this full, like, cycle that takes place. But I also want to recognize that it's exhausting to think about every time you're tempted that you got to confess, repent, believe. Confess, repent, believe. Right? You get cut off in front of whipbacks. All right, confess, repent, believe. Your spouse does that thing that gets under your skin every time. Confess, repent, believe. Your family member shares that dumb thing on Facebook again. Confess, repent, believe, right? And so there's this constant, like, you're like a yo-yo, just going back and forth. And I think abiding can take place before the temptation even gets there. And that's uh, by just standing under the cross. So I thought about bringing this picture for the slides, but I think it's a little more distracting than anything. I'll draw three stick figures for guys, and I'll have one standing on either side of the cross. One says, I believe. The other says, I don't believe. And then there's one standing under the cross who says, I believe. And I'll ask them what the difference is, and I'll get 100 different answers, right? But confessing, repenting, and believing is just standing under what's already been done for you. Because there's nothing I'm doing to hold this up right now. It's not that I'm holding on real tight and the cross is going to stay up for me. It's not that uh, God is letting me stand under the cross right now, but he's going to throw me out later. I'm simply standing under what Jesus has already done. And temptation is when I start to stray. Oh, I shouldn't fight that bitter, or I shouldn't take that bitterness, that lust, that pride, that lie, whatever it is. I confess it, I repent, and I believe, and I just stand under what Jesus has already done. And so instead of feeling like a yo-yo with your sins, standing under what Jesus has done puts you in a position to where you can be empowered when temptation does arise in your life. There's an author named Henry Nowen who speaks about it this way. He wrote a book about the prodigal son that I think is one of my favorite books I've ever read. And he writes, uh, when he thinks about the prodigal son leaving the father's love, um, I leave home, home being God's presence and love, every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I leave home, home being God's presence and love, every time I search for unconditional love when I cannot be found. Right? Every time I walk out from underneath this thing, it's because I think there's unconditional love over here. Or it's because I think there's unconditional love over here. Instead, the unconditional love is just standing under what God has already done for you on your behalf. So, when you stray, confess, repent, believe. Know that what Jesus has done for you has accomplished everything that all you have to do is stand under. You don't have to make yourself well. 
repent and return back to the unconditional love that was shown to you before you even cried out for it. And receive the love Jesus has for you when you come home in your season of temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this life is too hard to do it on our own. And you knew that. That's why you gave us your Holy Spirit. That's why you gave us your righteousness. That's why you paid for our sins. And so, Lord, instead of having to uh, be shepherds who fight sin, we're just sheep who stand behind the shepherd. Would you help us in our times of straying to confess that that doesn't offer us the life that we think it does, to repent and turn from it, and to stand behind our good shepherd who leads us to still waters and green pastures. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. You're dismissed.